Welcome to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. My name is Kim Ludeman, and I am passionate about helping women just like you embrace your true self so you can show up confidently in your life. Join me as we talk about overcoming limiting beliefs, reshaping what health and wellness really look like, and take steps to becoming captivatingly confident. With all that said, let's go to the show. Hey friends, I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. She is someone that I have been following pretty much since the beginning of my paleo days about six or seven years ago, and I am just thrilled to have her on the show today. Stephanie Ruper is a full-time philosopher at the University of Oxford in England who moonlights as a health and fitness personality. She is the author of Sexy by Nature, co-author of Coconuts and Kettlebells, and co-host of the Well-Fed Women podcast. She is the managing director of the Paleo for Women community and has been called by Rob Wolf as one of the most learned and fierce advocates of women's health in the ancestral scene. You can find her work on women's physical and psychological health at paleoforwomen.com and many inspirational Instagram posts on Facebook or Instagram at Stephanie Ruper. Guys, she is seriously incredible, so smart. I tried not to fangirl too much during this, but well, what can you do when one of the people you admire the most is on your show? So without further ado, may I give you my interview with Stephanie? All right, my friends, welcome back. I am so excited to welcome Miss Stephanie Ruber to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. Oh my gosh. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you. It has been so wonderful to experience your enthusiasm. It's really nice. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am just beyond thrilled. Stephanie is one of those people that I have just been following and love and admire so much for at least the last five or six years. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now I sound like a stalker. Creepy. No, no, it's, it's normal. It's cool. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, in the paleo community, Stephanie is like one of the top authorities on all things paleo. And that is how I found her when I started my paleo journey about six years ago. And she runs the paleo for women com website, which is an incredible resource for all things paleo and women, because it was kind of a male-dominated industry for a while there. So you were kind of one of the first females on the scene, right? Yeah, I wasn't the first first, but I was the first to come out and, and sort of advocate for women, you know, to say we need yeah. to be talking about women's health and women's issues and stuff. So um, in that sense, yeah. And that was, that was back in 2012. So seven years ago now. Yeah, I know time flies. It does. It does. It feels like just yesterday. And it's been amazing to see, especially your work with PCOS, which I definitely want to get into because I know a lot of my listeners struggle with PCOS and feel really defeated by it. And so we'll get there for sure. Okay. But I want to, I want to start with just asking you a little bit about your story. Like how did you end up doing this amazing work with paleo and publishing a book and 
starting a podcast, two podcasts. Like, how did you get here? What what was that like for you? Uh, well, that's two books and three podcasts. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so it's very funny. I'm actually I'm giving a small speech next week at a women's dinner, and I have it's 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 been killing me because I haven't been able to figure out what to talk about. But just before you and I got on this call, I started writing about precisely what I'm going to say, which is I just felt like it should be done. And, and I, so I did it right. Mm. I was, I have always sort of just felt like things could be done. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I can do them. If you know what it takes to do something, then, then you just, all you have have to do is do it. You know, it, it, it has never seemed that complicated to me. And so when I was, uh, in terms of my own personal stuff and how I got passionate about this, I actually developed PCOS in 2009, which is unbelievably now 10 years ago. And I know, and I, so yeah, I stumbled into a bunch of health conditions along with PCOS and it was because, and I didn't really know this at the time. And then I started to suspect it, but denied it. It was because I had been radically under eating, you know, in order Mm. to eat thin. And I did so much reading in the literature and trying to figure it out because PCOS is always talked about as something that happens for women who have higher body fat percentages, who are insulin resistant. And so I kept saying, well, obviously that's, that's not what's going on for me. I was underweight, you know, if, and so I, and then in 2012, right before I started paleo for women and started working on sexy by nature, my first book, I read my first ever book about feminism. Hmm. And yeah, I, I remember the the day very clearly. I, I was in a Barnes and Noble and I read the whole book, you know, front to back, just stand, like pretty much standing at the shelf. I used to do that. I used to go to Barnes and Noble and just read like 10 books and leave. I was that. I'm why Barnes and Noble is closing, you know. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, so I, I read that book and I realized that I had sort of all these things that I had been telling myself were healthy or thought that I was choosing was actually because I I had been sort of told right by this huge cultural machine we have that Mm -hmm. I need to be small in order to be lovable and all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then, then I got furious for me and also realizing it was, it was the case for women everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I, I, I started really wanting to advocate for, women's issues. And I ended up stepping into the paleo health space because I, because I was into paleo and I had been using it as a way to stay thin and pretend like I was trying to be healthy, but I was actually just trying to be thin. Right. Right. And uh, which, which is a thing that's not uncommon in diet culture. And uh, I ended up realizing that there were actually really serious issues that we needed to be talking about uh, carbohydrates and calories and fasting and all these sorts of things that were just assumed fine. And, and it turns out that actually when you dig into the literature for women, it's, it's a lot less certain. And so that was, that was sort of my, my entry point into all of this and the podcasts and the books and all that are just a part of when you choose to make it your mission to convince people of stuff, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Wow. And it's, it's so true. It's, I feel like, again, a lot of the diets that are catching on, including paleo, are really geared toward men and the effects on women and women's hormones and 
body types, it's, it's not the same, but it's treated the same. And there's no like specific caveat for women. And I feel like, again, you were just one of the pioneers in that of saying, Hey, you know, this isn't, it's not black and white. It's not just do intermittent fasting and lose body fat. Like that has serious repercussions for women's health. And I just love how you've approached that. And for our, for listeners who don't know what PCOS is, can you give like a brief like description and maybe some of the symptoms that go along with that? Yeah, sure. So it's a pretty common, the most common condition that causes infertility in the West uh, and it's basically polycystic PC, right? PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's when you have multiple small cysts in your ovaries, and this happens because of a hormone imbalance. Mm. What's problematic is that usually the hormone imbalance is thought of in terms of having insulin resistance and sort of this hormonal excess and too much testosterone and too much of some other things. But you can also have PCOS when you have too few of many of the, you know, quote unquote, female hormones like estrogen and progesterone. And that happens when, you know, when you're really stressed out, when you undereat, all these sorts of things. So um, I ended up learning that PCOS can be quite complex, but generally speaking, what unifies uh, people who have PCOS is this hormone imbalance that messes with your fertility. And so you have uh, missed or irregular periods. That's one of the biggest signals. Usually you have elevated uh, testosterone or other male sex hormone levels um, and, and, and cysts, and then you might have acne, you might have uh, some trouble sleeping. Most Many people, again, tend to have trouble losing weight, but not all, you know, not all of them because PCOS is, is so diverse. But generally speaking, any sort of hormone-related problems um, can can be a can be a symptom of PCOS and specifically ones associated with an imbalance in favor of male sex hormones, which include um, acne, uh, hair loss, uh, greasy skin, all those sorts of things. If, if if a guy gets it gets this problem, this symptom when they're on steroids, that's pretty much the same thing uh, mm-hmm. that that happens to women when they have PCOS because it's just too you know such an imbalance for male sex hormones. Yeah. And there isn't there the added symptom too of facial hair as kind of oh, one of the yes. symptoms too. Yeah, if you see if yes, if you see a woman with facial hair, there's a pretty good chance that she has PCOS. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you for mentioning that. Yeah, no, definitely. So it's a lot of times I hear that PCOS cannot be quote cured, but that you can manage your symptoms and. You have claimed through your website that you actually reverse the symptoms of PCOS for yourself. I'm super curious to hear about that and what your thoughts are on ma- symptom management versus reversing that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So I normally, it's when you talk about health online, you have to be very careful not to use the language of like cures. Yeah. Right? I'm going to yes. cure you know, I'm going to provide a cure. And you definitely do always want to be talking about management. And I think with PCOS, for a lot of people, uh, the management can be lifelong or last a really long time. And for me, yeah, I managed, quote unquote, managed my PCOS for years and years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's it's very tricky, right? Is PCOS one of those things that's a predisposition that you have your whole life? 
Or is it something that can happen to you for a short period of time and then it goes away because you have made some changes in your, you know, in how you do health? I that's a very live question and there's no real answer uh, consensus in terms of how you should be talking about your PCOS. But pretty much all of the symptoms of PCOS that I once had, I do not have anymore. Actually, all of them. My periods, I do, I can be somewhat irregular, but that's that's that doesn't mean I have PCOS because for women all across the world, if you get a little bit stressed out, your period can get a little bit longer, right? So uh, that just means that you tend to have a more sensitive menstrual cycle. It doesn't necessarily mean you have PCOS. Uh, it, it can't, but but it doesn't necessarily. And so, yeah, currently uh, my menstrual cycle can shift around a little bit, uh, but I used to have terrible, just terrible acne, you know, the mm-hmm. kind where you would wake up in the morning and have six or seven more and they would be giant scar yeah. type, type things, you know, and, and you wouldn't, you don't want to leave the house because it hurts yeah. and you're you know, embarrassed. And so um, I, I had that for ages and it took me a long, long time after after overcoming, you know, working through these issues, I realized that I needed to stop eating dairy because dairy is a very hormonal food. And if you have problems with acne, usually, and I have uh, programs to help women with their acne as well. One of the first things I say is you have to try cutting out dairy because there's just like, there's male sex hormones in dairy and female sex hormones. And there's just a lot of hormones in dairy. So um, I couldn't eat dairy. And um, about four months ago, I started eating it again. And I had yogurt for dinner or for breakfast this morning. And my skin is, you know, you could, you could, you could turn me into an advertisement for beauty counter or something. I'm, I mean, I'm serious. Like I just, I don't, I don't have, I don't have anything, um, wow. and any problems with my skin anymore. And, uh, my menstrual cycle is back and my sex drive is normal. So pretty much all, all of the things that I experienced, I, I don't anymore. And some of them were rectified faster than others. You know, the skin is a really complex system that can, you know, there's, there's a lot factoring into it. And I, my skin wasn't healthy for probably more reasons than just, uh, just the PCOS, but yeah, I, I did that. And I think it's, I think it's very, very possible, Mm -hmm. very possible for other people to do it as well. Which is such good news because again, I know so many women who are affected by PCOS that feel like there is there's nothing they can do about it, that they are just going to be struggling for the rest of their lives. And I know that that's not the case. So I know that you just launched a new program that actually helps women with PCOS. Can you tell us about it? Sure. Well, it's not new, but <laughs> it's actually it's actually one of the oldest. It's actually one of the oldest things on, on, on my website, but I am um, Did you cost- update it? I feel like it's, there was something, I don't know if it was the date on it. Cause on your website, it says 2019. So I assumed that you had done oh, some major renovations um, to it. Sorry. No, no, no. That's totally okay. Uh, there are, uh, yes, there are constantly, I try to, as much as I can to, you know, to stay up to date on the PCOS literature and I keep writing about it. And so I recently wrote about it. Um, I recently wrote about it again and, and attempted to you know, again, keep my audience up to date. So there's that, but the program as, as a whole has existed now for again, almost, almost seven years. Just again, I know I keep saying this so crazy to think about. So the program has been around for a long time and I've been talking about and thinking about PCOS for, for quite a, 
quite a long time. Uh, the program is called PCOS Unlocked and the manual. And the, the what I say and why I think it's so important, and you know, <laughs> often people after they read the, the manual now or encounter my ideas about PCOS will say, well, I, I kind of already knew some of that stuff or mm-hmm. this perspective isn't new to me. And I'm like, well, it's because I wrote this. <laughs> it's because I wrote this book. <laughs> it, the, and the argument that I made, which was very new in, in 2012, is that there are many different ways to have PCOS and many different quote unquote types of PCOS. And I describe what I think of as different types of PCOS. Uh, one's re- the type one PCOS is related to insulin resistance and higher body fat percentages. And again, this is the most common type of PCOS type two is related to stress and under eating and uh, all the sort of behaviors that can contribute to a a struggling or a starved system. And then the third type is associated with hypothyroidism. And of course, you can have more than one type and mm-hmm. there are other factors. But I really believe that, you know, you're talking about all of these people and, and whether or not you can have hope that you can manage your PCOS. I firmly believe that uh, the key to overcoming managing PCOS, as with most other health conditions, is really figuring it out, right? A really understanding what is causing this for you. And that often means getting blood work done. Maybe it means doing some testing with your eating to figure out what sort of foods affect you in which ways. But I really believe that you have to get to the bottom of what's going on in your body. Like PCOS is not specific enough a diagnosis yeah. at all because it's so diverse. And so you really need to figure out what your type is. Uh, what your sort of profile is. And then then you can work on those problems, right? You can work on, if your thyroid levels are low, you can work on that with diet and or with medication, right? So I I think that that's just, that's so important. And that's really, I think, the only way to do the kind of thing that I did, which is remediate my symptoms and sort of put PCOS in my history. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's so, it's so complicated, right? And I feel like Western medicine often tries to simplify it and just slap a label on it and say, well, sorry about that, or try to incorporate medication into the treat, quote, treatment mm-hmm. of PCOS. I, I have irregular periods as well. I have since I was 13 and I've had numerous doctors say, oh, well, you have PCOS. And I'm like, I have zero symptoms except for an irregular period. And they're like, well, it's PCOS. And I heard that over and over and over again. And still, if I go to a new doctor nine times out of 10, they're going to say, oh, it's PCOS. But I love that you break it down into types and really get specific about, you know, what the causes are and what the symptoms are. Because just because you have, you know, acne doesn't mean you have PCOS or just because you have an irregular mm-hmm. period doesn't mean that that's your diagnosis. And I love that you said, you know, getting t- blood work done and do some investigatory work as far as how foods affect you and make you feel like dairy is such a huge one. In it can infect affect you in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just it's good to hear you know somebody else say, "Hey, I had this problem of acne after dairy," and you know. By eliminating that or reducing that, you can improve your quality of your skin. I just love it. I yeah, love it. I, we are chemical systems, right? And so you can you can tweak them, 
right? And food, food is also a chemical system. And so it's just, it's a very basic fact of our existence Mm -hmm. that our bodies are really influenced by what we eat and how we behave, right? Like that's just, it's, if it's not common sense, it really should be because that's deeply foundational to, you know, our existence in this world. Agreed. Agreed. So I want to, I want to kind of steer us into the direction of your book. Well, you, you have two of them. I've, I've read Sexy by Nature and I love it. I love it. If you have not checked this book out, friends, head over to Amazon and grab it right now. It's called Sexy by Nature, The Whole Food Solution to Radiant Health, Lifelong Sex Appeal, and Soaring Confidence, which we love here at Captivating the Confident. We love all things confidence building. So what inspired you to write this book? Mm. I love this book. My first, it was my first book. And Oh, I was, oh, I was 23, 24. Yeah, I was young. Um, What inspired me? Well, it was like this sort of stuff that I talked about when we first jumped on the call. I realized I developed this way of thinking about our bodies, right? And I was just talking about how we are chemical systems and we are, right? But that doesn't mean that we are reducible to just being chemical systems, right? Obviously we have feelings and I firmly believe that, and this is the golden rule, the quote unquote golden rule of sexy by nature that Mm -hmm. love your body and it will love you back. And I I, I mean this in so many ways. I mean, have, have live it with it, with forgiveness and acceptance and almost compassion for your body, for what it's, we live in a hard world, you know, yeah. and we probably like, I personally, I was fed margarine my whole life as, as a kid. And I think that that probably has had an effect. I think that's probably had an effect <laughs> on me. Um, and you know, many of us weren't breastfed, right. There were so many things that have been a part of our body's histories that were not necessarily quote unquote ideal. And we have to hold space for them and have compassion for that, understand what's happening with our bodies and work with them. You know, we have this cultural machine that puts us at war against our bodies. You know, there's so much language that's warlike, you know, um, about going to the gym and keeping your, you only want, you want to like restrict your body and make sure you don't eat more than this. And you never want to eat more than that of carbs or fat or calories or meals or what have you. And then you need to go to the gym and fight your body to make it smaller, right? Like you need to make it submit to you. And I, this is just, it's so unsustainable and it's so Mm -hmm. physically and mentally unhealthy, like period. It's it's unhealthy in, in so many ways. And so what I tell people is, look, if you move forward with your body and you start from a place of wanting to give it what it's asking for, because your body really does, it really does want to be healthy. It's trying 100% of the time to be as healthy as it can. Yeah. And there were just things in its way. And we are often usually the things, that, the things in its way. <laughs> uh-huh. So is- th- sorry. No, no. I was just going to say that this is my, I feel myself climbing up on my soapbox right now because it's, (laughs) this is such an important issue. I feel like we could spend hours talking about this, that you 
have to practice compassion for yourself, like you were saying. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it is hard. It is hard to look in the mirror and appreciate what you see, let alone like what you see, and to not jump into criticizing it, especially the way that it looks and like the softness and like the just the very masculine energy that is surrounding the feminine body and mm-hmm. how we need to, you know, be disciplined and have willpower and practice self-control and you've got to, you know, stay focused and restricting. And it's so negative. And it's no wonder that we develop so many different issues and complexities in our bodies like PCOS and like autoimmune disorders that develop, I think a lot of times because of some of those deficits that you were talking about, not being breastfed or having chemicals for food (laughs) growing up. I think anybody that grew up kind of in the 80s and 90s was subject to that as far as the low fat foods, right? The country crock or the squeeze. Did you guys use the squeeze butter at all? No, but we were the country crock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. My parents would buy like the Costco brown tub of it. We totally had that. And it does, it sets you up for this disordered relationship with your body, especially when your body just responds to what, what had, what it had, right. You talk about it being chemical and it's like, yes, that makes sense that your body would have metabolism issues because of the foods that you had and the, the stressors that you've had especially that come from not liking your body. So can you speak a little bit about how having negative body image can actually impact you physically? Yeah. Well, on one hand, for one thing, if you're unhappy, I honestly think that your mental well-being, your happiness or unhappiness or satisfaction mm-hmm. or disf- dissatisfaction with your life, I think that makes a huge huge impact on, on your physical health. And there's, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of studies that demonstrate how important your mindset is. So there's definitely that piece. And then the other piece is when, when you're in this kind of mindset, you don't, you don't feed your body. You're not listening to your body, right. Or you're not thinking about what your body needs. You don't feed it the things that it needs. You end up, I mean, I can't tell you how many years of my life I ate less than 10 grams of fat a day, you know, Mm -hmm. less than five, many, many years. And that your brain is made out of fat, right? Like you can't, and your hormones are made out of like every, there's so much that's made out of fat and you need it. Right. And if you're under eating calories, then your body is spent the female body. Really? It doesn't like to be underfed because if it's underfed, it thinks that there's a famine because we our bodies were built for times when famines were real and thinks that there's a famine. And so it does everything it can to prevent you from losing. So a, it will like hold on to your fat stores, which is why often when women starve themselves, they don't lose any weight, yep. <laughs> you know, or if you fast, I recently, I've been accidentally intermittent fasting because I just work too long hours and <laughs> I'm serious. And, and it's, I've been gaining weight. And I'm, oh, I'm just so sure. I'm so sure that it's because I've been fasting. So again, not like that's not a, that's not necessarily a bad thing. This is my body trying to protect itself, but that does happen. And 
your body will also try to prevent you from becoming pregnant in a time of famine because then you put yourself and your baby at, at risk, right? You could, you could die in the wild if you're in famine. And so your body will stop menstruating and it will stop producing female sex hormones. And then all of a sudden you're not menstruating, your bone density is decreasing, right? Because mm-hmm. estrogen is important for that. Right. Uh, you can develop acne, you can stop sleeping well because estrogen is important for sleep. Like the list of things that can happen is just, it's so long. And there are many women in the world whose bodies are very resilient and aren't necessarily affected by this sort of thing. And intermittent fasting works great for them. And that's wonderful. I'm happy for you. I I seriously, like I'm not being sarcastic. I am, Mm -hmm. but we have to be having these conversations, holding the space for those of us whose bodies are are very sensitive and the percentage of us is it's not small, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I know intermittent fasting is kind of gaining in popularity as as is keto. And I'm super Ugh. curious. If you want to know how I feel about keto, that's it. <gasps> can we just, can we talk about it for a second? Because I feel like I'm going so countercultural with my thoughts and opinions about keto. And I'm, there's a lot of, a lot of people in the audience and in this community that are either doing keto, are contemplating doing keto, are extremely curious about it because it's so popular right now. So tell us what is the uh, all about? Okay. So there's this thing going on right now that I just love, which is, I mean, right now in this conversation and in the world, which is when you meet somebody who isn't on the keto bandwagon, it's so exciting. It is. Okay, good. I'm like, I'm like a crazy person for this, but it does. It's yes, yes, yes. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to throw this out here because I think it's important there. I can't, I'm not throwing anything out there. I'm just going for it. I can't. <laughs> I can't with keto. Okay. Because a, to reiterate, there are many situations in which ketosis as a dietary practice can be very helpful and brain disorders is high on that list. And if you have a really high body fat percentage and have been struggling with intense insulin resistance, yes, absolutely. And for other people, sure, play with it for a while, but God, gosh, um, Ketosis, this is real. Ketosis came, I watched this happen. Okay, I was a part of the movement in the health sphere that said, hey, you know what? Carbohydrates are okay. Mm -hmm. And there were so many prominent people in this health sphere, and I will not say names. (laughs) I'm very tempted to say names. Pretty much everybody, pretty much everybody came on board and said, you know what? It's more about quality than it is about quantity right? It's not that carbs themselves are bad, but bad carbs are bad and good carbs are great and go ahead and eat carbs. And some of them wrote books about carbohydrates. And mm-hmm. then, then some, a cup, a handful of companies started marketing, uh, supplementary ketones. Like you could take ketone bodies as a supplement, which by the way, is a totally weird way to be in ketosis because I mean, it can give you neurological benefits, sure, but it doesn't give you the benefits of eating a really low carb diet. And so anyway, very interesting. Some people started being able to market these things and then it, it started to catch. And there were some people who had always been advocating for ketosis, such as Jimmy Moore, right? Mm-hmm. And they 
sort of caught this wave of the supplements becoming a big deal. And the supplements were really profitable for people to market. And I'm not saying everybody who talks about ketosis now was on board with the supplement thing, but it sort of brought it out of the woodwork. And then ketosis became catchy enough that for people who talk about health for a living, like me, all of a sudden, if you weren't talking about keto, you were losing money. Yep. And I, okay, paleo for women, I make 30% as much money as I used to. 30% precisely. And this is only because ketosis has become a trendy word and paleo is not. But I have not started talking about keto, but everybody else, virtually, not everybody, but a very very significant portion of health advocates have. And I can can promise you that money is not not a factor. And sure, and, and that just, that's really disillusioning for me. It's really disheartening because these were people that I really believed in. Um, yes, exactly. Me too. I This is a total moment right here that we're sharing because I looked up to so many different influencers and authorities who had really helped change my life. Paleo had changed my life forever and it is amazing and I still hold so many tenants true that I just have worked for me so well. But to see them make the shift to now being pro keto. It's so disheartening. Like I resonate with that so much. It's discouraging because you know, it is about the audience and about the money. And I understand that this is your business, but I have appreciated that about you, that you have stuck to your guns and not jumped on that bandwagon at all. And just, oh Yeah. It just, Mm. it's one of those things that just throws me through a loop because keto is so trendy. I mean, if you look at the hashtags for keto, I mean, there's just millions. Yeah. Yeah. And and there is, I mean, there is something to be said for the fact that so many people are finding it effective, right? And I don't want to discount that, but it is to promote keto as the solution is so narrow-minded. Yes. It is a solution for some people. And by the way, pretty sure it's a temporary solution because when you bring carbs back in, your life is going to be not be fun. <laughs> no, no, it's such a switch. And that's the thing that I think is the problem is that there's not a lot of long-term science to back it up as far as even like the impact on women specifically. And it's just, it's a little bit scary when you think about it because it is a short-term tool, I guess, if you want to call it a tool, but it's just, it's a very short-term, but I just, I approach it from the side of self-compassion, self-acceptance and appreciation of your own body and figuring out what foods work for you. And so keto flies in the face of that. And so trying to direct the conversation to sustainability, long-term, you know, weight loss, if that's what your body even needs, because so Mm -hmm. many people have this idea, right? Because you hit on it earlier about the health and fitness industry saying you need to be smaller to be lovable, to be attractive, to be sexy. And again, this is why I love your book so much because it's, it doesn't, sexiness has nothing to do with the shape of your body. Right. I, yeah, I happen to think so. It's very hard It's very hard to believe that in today's day and age, but Mm -hmm. if we are really 
honest and we can strip away the layers of cultural conditioning, you know, then, then we realize that when we look at, we're, when we look at other people's bodies, right. And our own bodies, and it's just, it's so less important than your personality. And like, I, I don't want to be like, Oh, it's who you are that matters, but it is, it's who you are that matters. And yeah. um, I think owning your own attractiveness, whatever that means to you is mm-hmm. the most important thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is. It is. It's sexiness is not the shape of your body, but it's like something it's, what you believe, like it's a feeling that you have, like you choose whether or not you feel confident, if you feel sexy, you feel attractive. Like that's a choice that you make that isn't Mm -hmm. dependent upon anybody else. It has to come from you. And it's just, gosh. So again, if you have not gotten sexy by nature, grab that for sure right now. I'll make sure to link it in the show notes for you. So Mm -hmm. Stephanie, you had said that you have also written a second book. I didn't know this. So tell us more about your second book. Um, I'm just, I'm going to throw this out there as a teaser. I'm working on my third book right now and (gasps) it's way better than the first and second books. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, well, you'll have to tell us a little bit about that too. I I will. It's not about any of this stuff at all. And so it it is perhaps not relevant, but uh, yeah. So I wrote, I co-wrote a book with my co-host, uh, I co-host a podcast called Well-Fed Women. And well, I guess Noelle and I just sort of, her name is Noelle Tarr and she's fantastic. Noelle has taken the reins and the podcast is now a little bit more hers than it is mine because of my third book, which we can maybe talk about. But yeah, so Coconuts and Kettlebells is the name of the book and it's named after Noelle's website. And in it, we outline a plan that helps people figure out what foods work for them. And for some people that could be a very low carb diet, but for some people that could be a high carb diet. And I happen to be one of them and, and Noelle happens to be more on the fat side. And so we decided we came up with this plan to sort of go against this grain, you know, the keto fad and say, look, (laughs) people are different. All bodies are different. Let's, let's figure out what's good for you. And so in a sense, we tried to be the last diet book anybody will ever need because mm-hmm. it provides ways to continually tweak your diet and figure out, you know, which foods are affecting you in which ways and just yeah. always be in this psychologically and physically healthy state of a good relationship with, with your body, you know? So there are meal plans, there's a fitness portion, like it's massive. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really lovely book. It came out about um, six months ago. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That is amazing. And it is, it is a constant process of tweaking because your, your body is not static. It's so mm-hmm. dynamic. And the, the fluctuations you have to be able to, to work with rather than against by using set macros or set calorie limits or restricting certain foods, but being open to being a little bit more intuitive and eating that way and understanding what foods work for you. But it's, I think we get a little bit lazy in that sometimes, or we get a little bit intimidated or scared. And it's easier to just be like, just tell me what to eat. Just give me a meal plan. Just, just write it down for me and I'll do it. I'll stick to it. But I think that that again, brings in that, that kind of masculine energy to it. And, you know, I love that coconuts and kettlebells is, it sounds like it's more focused on the intuitive and like that feminine understanding of your body and 
and working with it rather than against it. Yeah, I, yes. And intuitive, I, I want to be clear, like listening, quote unquote, listening to your body is important, but that needs to be happening in a scientific context, right? If your body is craving a lot of candy bars, you need to check that with your understanding of how your body craves things that aren't necessarily good for it. And so, um, but yes, you're, you're absolutely, absolutely right. And again, you know, I, I hate to always, I, money is important, right? Because it's so much more profitable to hand people a simple solution yes. than it is to say, look, here's the complex nuanced reality of things, mm-hmm. but it's just so people like simplicity, um, but it's definitely factually incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. We, we like quick wins as a culture and I totally get that, but it's, it's so much more than that, you Mm -hmm. know, and I, you do know, you totally get it, which I love. So, okay. Book number three, can we, can you give us a little teaser, a little sneak peek? Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be of interest to uh, people here, but maybe, and it should be, (laughs) it should be, if it's not, it should be. Um, so my my career in women's health has always been a side gig. I am actually a professional professional philosopher at the University of Oxford in England, and I study how people make sense of things and the human condition and the the modern moment and all of the changes that have happened in human religiosity and spirituality throughout mm-hmm. the last uh, you know fifty thousand years. And so my next book is about uncertainty. And I argue that even though we have more knowledge than ever before, we actually are burdened with more uncertainty than any culture in human history. And this has really radical implications for our personal and collective well-being because we happen to be radically, (laughs) radically monstrously bad at managing uncertainty. And so I I talk about uh, the history, you know, of our culture and how uncertainty has developed in terms of science and philosophy and technologies and economics and then about the human being and how we respond to it and the things we see in our world like anxiety and fascism and mm-hmm. i sort of i tie it all together under this under this banner of uncertainty and i happen to think that it's pretty uh, that it's pretty brilliant but it's <laughs> it's it'll be done maybe in about a year Wow. But uh yeah, so that's 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 my child right now. And, oh my gosh. Yeah. That is so amazing. I'm so excited for you. It is it's perfectly timed because you're right. It is such an uncertain time right now and it is it's such a there's there's such a shift happening in our world and understanding how people process that is so important even for personal gratification. I think that's amazing. Oh my Thank gosh. You. Yeah. I feel very anxious because I feel like I, I wish it were written yesterday, you know, but it's going to yeah. take me a while to, to finish it. So um, just taking it a day at a time. Oh my gosh. Well, we will anxiously look forward to that release <laughs> and I will snag that as soon as it comes out. Cause that sounds incredible and something that, yeah, you're right. If you're not interested in it, you should be. <laughs> and I don't often advocate the shoulds, but this one I'm going to go ahead and say is a good should. Oh yeah. I, I'm the same way. I don't, I normally am not a fan of should, but every once in a while it's important. Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Well, 
Stephanie, it was so awesome speaking with you today. And I hate that these podcasts are so short, but I like to keep them succinct so that all of our listeners can finish them in, in close to one sitting. Um, but before we go, I would love for you to tell us where we can find you in the internet world. Where can where do you hang out? Sure. I try to keep it simple. For my health-related stuff, sorry, for my health-related stuff, you can go to paleoforwomen.com and it's paleo for women on social media platforms, specifically Instagram. That's where I'm most focused these days. And then for my other stuff, uh, my work in religion and philosophy, you can find me at Stephanie at my name, stephanieruper.com or I'm Stephanie Ruper on Instagram and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. And my programs, I have programs on PCOS, weight loss, and acne, and you can find those all at paleoforwomen.com. And there's tons of free resources on those topics too. So awesome. Amazing. That is fantastic. And again, you can also find her podcast over on iTunes. You said you had, did you say you had three podcasts? (laughs) Well, my first podcast was many years ago and I haven't, it's just, it's still live, but it's very bad and very old. (laughs) Um, Noelle and I, Noelle and I host a podcast called Well-Fed Women. And then uh, when is this going to air, this podcast? Do you know? Next week. Oh, okay. So I have a podcast that's currently called The Meaning of Everything. The reason I asked was because its name is changing soon, but it's called The Meaning of Everything. And that's the podcast that I host about philosophy. So Love it. Love yeah. it. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Stephanie, you... Are I'm, t- I'm totally fangirling all over the place, but you are such an inspiration. Thank Thanks, you Kim. for putting yourself and your work out into the world. It has touched thousands, if not millions, I'm sure millions of men and women around the world. And we are so excited to keep watching you and to keep mm-hmm. learning from you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kim. Thank you a lot.